We're going to continue our series on what it means to live the Spirit-filled life. And the title of the message today is Immersion in the Holy Spirit. Immersion in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, look at verse 4 through 8, and then jump to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Acts 1, 4 through 8, and then Acts 2, 1 through 4. It says of Jesus, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Lord, help us today as we study. Four things about this passage that I'd like to discuss. One, an injunction given by Christ. Two, a sense of inspiration that the disciples had, an inquiry about what this meant. Then there was ignorance that remained even after Jesus gave his exhortation. And then there was an infilling. Background, Jesus has risen from the dead at this point. And he... Um, He's already distributed the Holy Spirit to the 12 who were in the upper room on the day of his resurrection. What upper room? We're not quite sure. We think it was probably this one, but it could have been someplace else. And when he saw them for the first time, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He also gave them a sense of mission and purpose. He said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Uh, that did not mean that they were supposed to go out immediately. But it was a statement of hope. Uh, men don't feel very fulfilled unless they've got a purpose. They've got to get up in the morning and go to work. And their dreams were dashed just thir 36 to four, 72 hours earlier when they experienced the death of Christ. Now he wanted to give them a sense of purpose again because they thought everything was gone. And he has arrived. And his arrival was not just one of those things that allowed him to experience a newness of what life was like after death, but that he rose for them and for the world, and they were going to be the conduits of his will to express his will to the world. Um, but they, they weren't supposed to go anyplace right now. That was just an idea that was coming down the road. As the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you to the world. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, they got it. And when he breathed on them, that was the moment of recreation that he was trying to superimpose over what, over what the father did with Adam. Genesis chapter 2, God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. Same kind of imagery here. 
And we look at this as the born-again experience for these disciples. If you don't know what that means, it means that they were regenerated from the inside. They didn't have to just reform their life. It wasn't just new tradition that they were going to adopt in this religion we call Christianity. They were actually being changed from the inside. They were no longer who they were, and now they were going to be who they were supposed to be when God thought about creating them. But he said, I want you to stay here now and wait for something we just read. So the time period from when Jesus rose from the dead and the time period of what we're seeing now in the book of Acts is somewhere around 50 days. The Passover was the celebration to which every Jew was to attend in Jerusalem. And they were to, to do so to learn about their history, to remember that God had passed over every one of the Jewish people while the Jews were enslaved in Egypt some 1,500 years earlier. And that there was a plague, and the Egyptians had succumbed to the plague because they would not let the people of Israel go. They wanted to keep them as their slaves. The, the Jews had been spared from the plague if they had placed blood on the lintels of their doorposts. And that blood was blood of a lamb. So the plague hit the Egyptians, though the Israelites lived across the street. The plague did not hit them, and it bypassed, passed over all the Jews if they had the blood. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. He becomes the one who sheds his blood over the doors of our life. Therefore, death passes by. They were supposed to remember that every year, and so all the Jews were to be in Jerusalem for that moment. There were two other feasts to which they were required to come. One was the Feast of Ingathering, or the Feast of Weeks. The second was the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths happened to be the moment where they were supposed to remember that God provided for their forefathers in the wilderness when they didn't have a home and gave them manna and quail every day. Manna was his stuff. They didn't even know what it is. That's why it's called manna. Manna means what is it? <laughs> Just grain appeared, seed appeared every morning that they could gather from wherever they were. It wasn't localized to a spot. Wherever they were, it appeared. And they gathered it up in the morning, ground it into flour, and made bread every day. Amazing. And so they were supposed to remember that, how God provided for them, unlike any other people in the history of the world. And then there was the Feast of Ingathering. Each one of these feasts was supposed to last a week. So it was a family vacation. It was a moment to remember, to identify with extra family members, a kind of a big uh, family reunion, if you will, and good preaching and good food and everything. The Feast of Ingathering was to celebrate the harvest that God was bringing in. This was the beginning of the harvest season. So the barley was the first harvest that was harvested. Then would come the wheat and all the other grains. And so they would bring their harvest together and say, Lord, you have provided for us once again. This is marvelous. Now, the period between the Passover... And the, the, the Feast of Weeks was 50 days. The Greeks so named, now renamed uh, the, the, the Feast of Weeks Pentecost because it was 50 days between and uh, literally the, the name 50 in Greek is Pentecost. And so they just decided that's what it means and it, it helps us remember because we're not always in the Jewish territory and that there were many Jews that did not live local they remembered, okay, it's 50 days and we need to be back. Now, if you lived in the Jewish territory, everybody talked about it. But if you lived in the Greek world, nobody talked about it. So you just had to get your calendar out and count. So Pentecost came. Now, the Lord was doing something here. He told the disciples after they were born again, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and wait for what the Father has promised of which you've heard from me. 
I'm going to do something really, really special. Don't go anyplace. Now, two things you have to understand about this. One, when something as special as the resurrection happened, and, and this is something that has never happened before, you have to understand that these guys had to be pretty excited about it. And they probably wanted to tell all their friends, he's alive. He who Rome and the Jews killed is alive. This has never happened before. Now, there are people who have been raised from the dead, but they had, had human agents to do so. So Elijah raised somebody from the dead. Elisha, an Old Testament prophet, raised somebody from the dead. Jesus raised at least three. At least three. Maybe many more. John says at the end of the book that he wrote the gospel, if we were to, to talk about all the miracles, all the deeds Jesus did, we'd run out of pages in print. There were that many. So all we have is the ESPN minute and a half highlight reel of the NFL weekend. We just have, we have great shots in the NBA. We, we don't have everything. We don't have a whole game. We just got moments. Jesus raised at least three, but nobody had ever raised himself up from the dead. They always had to have somebody help them. So this was amazing. And this kind of death that Jesus conquered, he'd never have to submit to again. Everybody who had been previously raised from the dead, like, died again. So Jesus would never, he conquered death. They had to be excited. I got to go tell somebody. I got, wait, don't go anyplace yet. Don't go anyplace yet. There's something special I'm going to give you that's going to amplify all of your speech, help you in your ability to communicate truth. Stay right here. I've got something special for you. And I know you want to go into all the world and preach, but I'm about to bring the world to you. God's strategic. And so he said, wait, you have no idea the intersections that you're coming to. You don't know the kind of provision that's on the, on the way to your life. You did, what you need to do is just keep staying on this path. You want to exit early because you get discouraged. You think you've waited long enough. Lord, you, 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 you haven't done it yet. I, I've, been, I've been right with you for a week. You haven't done it yet. You haven't. I, I'm waiting. I'm here. And we think we've always waited long enough, whether it's a week or whether it's 10 years, we think we've waited long enough. What, what else do I have to do? And then, because we put the time period on when we want God to do what he's supposed to do for us, when, when, when he doesn't follow our agenda, we get discouraged, disappointed, and we then just quit. Some of us exit the road a little early, and we decide to go and do something else with our lives. Backslide. No longer believe God in faith. Minimally, we don't go to small groups anymore. You come to church once every six weeks. And those who are really messed up, only Easter and Christmas. We find ourselves sidetracked or shipwrecked because we are so disappointed that God didn't, didn't do what he's supposed to do on our timetable. He just said, wait. Wait. And the reason he says wait is because there is so much he wants to do in your life other than just bring you to the point of fulfillment. If it's all about you just getting what you want, then you may not do what you want. You may not do what he wants you to do with it when you get it. Because you won't be the kind of person who's able to steward, steward the blessing best. And what he wants is for you to be the kind of person that he can pour out unlimited resources upon because he realizes he can trust you. But you're not quite sure. I'm not quite sure if, if I'm... I'm I'm done yet. 
I'm not quite sure if you can stick a fork in me because I haven't gotten what I need in order to accomplish my vision. Now, the longer I stay on this road, I intersect with more provision than I had last week, but I don't have everything that I need yet. And I've learned through the process of stair-stepping my life and sometimes leapfrogging in my life through character that I, when I become different faster, I wind up getting things easier. The interesting thing is when I get what I thought I needed way back when and I wanted it real bad, when I get it, I usually don't want it anymore. I want, I really, Lord, I really, I know, I, okay, I, yeah. That's the way I want you to be. Because when you don't care about it anymore, then you will do what I want you to do rather than what you want to do. He makes you different in the waiting process. Waiting doesn't mean stop. It means you abide in his presence in an unusual way. You're constantly saying, work on me, help me, form me into your image. I'm waiting actively, not passively. I haven't gotten to where I need to be. I don't know how long it's going to get there, but I do know this, that you are faithful to your word. That if I continue waiting and I stay on this road and don't exit early, if I just keep going, even if it looks like that, that, that there's no possibility, and it just a lo- it's a long, straight road with no end, I don't see anything out there that's going to help me. Nothing in the natural is confirming that I need to stay on this road except what you said. So I'm going to continue on this road until you have an attitude like that, that, that secures its soul in the foundation of faith in God, then you will come into everything that you need. And the Lord will provide all that you need and for others as well. Stay on this road. He said, wait. And what was he doing to say, wait? Well, I want you to go into all the world. That's what he said in the Great Commission. And that's what he began to articulate to them about how important it was to, 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 to minister beyond just Jerusalem. When you get the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to minister in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. I'm going to send you every place, but first, I'm going to send the world to you. Jews, it says on the day of Pentecost, were there from every nation under heaven in chapter 2. So rather than them having to get out of Dodge in a hurry and go preach this gospel, God said, let me send the world to you. And it's a strategic moment. They were about to intersect with all of the nations in one day. All the nations that were relevant to that area in one day. Now, this moment, they didn't understand about uh, ministry. The disciples were not looking to be pastors. There wasn't any such thing yet. We like to look at Peter as, as being the guy who was always ambitious about ministry or trying to push toward service and, and, and caring and, and John being... They didn't know anything about a church, though Jesus said to them, I'm going to build my church, and tried to encourage Peter that you're going to be the primary in it. They didn't get it. They had no idea what he was talking about, as evidenced by the fact that when Jesus says, I'm about to give you something, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and he's going to come in power, and he's going to make you my witness to the earth. They inquire about government. They don't inquire about ministry. Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning, are you going to do that messianic thing that we all thought you were going to do when you were alive? I mean, the other version of alive before you died, that version. But now that you've conquered death, like this kingdom is going to be unstoppable. And, and that's what we signed up for. We want to be your administrators. I, 
James and John, sons of thunder, who wanted to rain down fire upon a community because they wouldn't let Jesus come and eat. Can we be the ministers of defense, please? Secretary of the Interior. Everybody had an opportunity. They thought this was a moment. And now that you have like conquered death, what can conquer you? And we're with you. Now, as the Messiah, this was a prophetic thing, meaning God had talked about this long before Jesus appeared on the planet. And everybody was looking for this Messiah. The Messiah meant the one who was going to sit upon the throne of, of David, the King David, the, the first real good king of Israel, sit upon the throne of David and never leave it and establish a kingdom who would have unparalleled peace and prosperity. Its, its borders would always expand and there would be no end to its reign. And so they realized that the Messiah was the one who was supposed to do this and they were looking for the Messiah in this generation. Why? Because you remember the nativity thing? You know, the Mary and Joseph and virgin birth. The, the, the wise men come from the east. And they come from the east because they've seen a star. And, and they say, when, when, they, when they come, they come to Jerusalem because the star disappeared when they got in the Israelite territory. And why did they come to Jerusalem? Because they think if it's a king, it's got to be born in the capital. This child's got to be born in the capital. So they wind up in Jerusalem and they say, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. Nobody in Jerusalem knows that there is such a thing, except Herod, who is a usurper of the throne. Herod happens to be the sitting monarch. And they say, King, of the, who, who's been, what are you talking about? They say, well, we saw his, his star when we were at the east. God announced this baby with a star. It's the only one in all of history. You don't know? How do we know and you don't know? They begin to search their passages and scripture. They say, oh, yeah, this one's supposed to be born in Jerusalem. So... It took about 30 years for any person who was, was called to do something to come into their place of maturity whereby they could do it. And they waited around about 30 years, and all of a sudden, John the Baptist appears on the scene. And what do they say about John that they've never said about anybody in any other generation? Are you the one? Why? Because it's been about 30 years. He said, no, I'm not the one, but one's coming after me who's mightier whose thongs, sandals, I am not even able to untie. You think I'm great. He is so much greater that I am not worthy of being the lowest slave in his house. That's how great he is. And you think I'm all that in a bag of chips. He's amazing. And when I come, I come baptizing the water. When he comes with the Holy Ghost and fire, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He is unbelievable. And so he begins to proclaim him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he says, that's him. That's the Lamb of God. He's the one who's going to save us all. And so everybody says, Messiah, you're going to sit on David's throne. Now, why is it David's throne? Because God said to David, who had a desire to build his house, meaning God's house. Why? Because David had a house, but the, 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 the presence of God was in a tent. Literally a tent no bigger than 40 by 20 feet, not yards, feet. Little tent. And David was living in the palace, and David said, you know, this, 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 seems, this seems backwards here. Let me build you a house. And so David begins to make preparation. His prophet Nathan says, go for it. Do all this in your heart. Nathan leaves. Then he seeks God. Not good for a prophet to speak on behalf of God without seeking God first. Leaves. Then he speaks with God. God says, go back and tell David he's not supposed to build my house. Nathan comes in, eating a little bit of spiritual crow. I'm sorry. I blew it. You're not supposed to build this house. Uh, but... Because you desired to, 
I'm going to build you a house. And he's not talking about a, a, a brick structure, stone structure. He said, I'm going to build you a house. And there will never cease to be a man who's on the throne that comes from your line. So everybody was expecting it. That's why they called Jesus the son of David. Long way around to the front door. You are the one who's supposed to sit on this throne. Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now it? Is now when I get a job? I can go back and justify my last three and a half years to mama. She'd been wondering, why you follow that man who died? That just don't make no sense to me. Come on back home and get back to fishing. Boy, you just gone crazy. You're going crazy. Can you please help me? Can, you, can, you, can, can I go back to mama and say you're real? In fact, why in the world are you just revealing yourself to us? You rose from the dead. Can we have a CNN moment? Can, 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 we, can we have an interview? You need to go viral. You will go viral, I promise. They were all looking for what they could get out of Christ's resurrection. Are you going to restore the kingdom to us? Are you going to fulfill my dreams? Are you going to punch my plan for what life should look like? Are you going to co-sign for me, with me? And Jesus says this, I'm going I'm to leave that, that answer blank. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that God is fixed by his own authority. But I can tell you one thing, you're going to get some power. I know you come to church looking for something. Lord, fix my marriage. Lord, is this a day when you're going to restore sanity to my 16-year-old? Lord, is this a day when you're going to help me get friends? Lord, is this the day where you're going to reveal, I, I'm 30, I'm not married. You're going to show me? Lord, is, is this the day when you're going to inspire my supervisor who attends church, but he sits on the other side of the sanctuary to promote me? Speak to him, oh Lord, speak to him. Lord, is this the day when you're going to help me? And rarely does God ever answer that. But he does answer it. Just not in the way you want. Mm, can't say. But I can say that I'll change you. You want to be changed this day? I'm about to make you the most fabulous emissary of my kingdom ever. I'm about to transform you and do something for you beyond that which you asked. You are so focused on this little thing, I'm focused on the big thing. And if I give you the big thing, it's amazing how all the other little things will fall in line. I'm going to make you better the entire time. God wants to do something, and the disciples just didn't get it. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2, they're all together in one place. And, and it's important that you understand that whatever God does, he generally, it's, it's, it's not always, but generally, likes to do it congregationally. He likes to bless a people, not just a person. So this was, this, this was an, a we, us moment, not a me moment. It says they were all together in one place. And the Holy Spirit came in power. And he was about to give them the kind of victory they have never experienced before. Not just victory over sin, 
but victory in conquering what the enemy has taken in territory from God, recapturing things that have been in somebody else's realm too long. Re, recategorizing what victory looks like for humanity. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you. Let me tell you how messed up we are, just to give you some perspective, not to depress you, but just a little perspective. We are really happy. We will shout for joy and lift up our hands and sing a new song when we don't sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus. She came at me. She was gorgeous, but I didn't commit adultery. Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. I came home, and I'm set. I'm straight. I'm straight. Glory be to God. Lord, I thank you for not saying what I wanted to say. I didn't just want to give that woman a piece of my mind. I wanted her to have all of it, but I only said one bad thing. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you. I restrained. Thank you for restraining my mouth, oh, Lord. Thank you. We compare ourselves with the worst and really think ourselves to be great. Well, I'm not like them. God, I'm pretty good, aren't I? And we look at our own lives and think we've really done something when we haven't done wrong. But we haven't done right yet. And I'm not saying that that not sinning is not doing right. I'm just talking about advance now. We haven't advanced anything for the kingdom by not sinning. I went to London last fall. Um, the Redskins played, and I'm chaplain, and we played the Cincinnati Bengals, and we had to play five quarters. Now, a game is only four. So that tells you what happened, that there was a tie, and we generally there's some other rules but first team that scores a touchdown wins we had to play all five quarters and after the fifth quarter is done you're done so you tied we tied came into the locker room fellas were throwing helmets saying words that are not only improper to say here any place <laughs> horrible things mad just mad just hot we did not practice all of August to tie. We didn't sweat to tie. We didn't come across the pond to tie. They were mad. You'd have thought they'd lost the Super Bowl. When you just don't do wrong, but you haven't done anything really right, you tie. Why are we so happy about a tie? The only people who are happy about ties are those who lose all the time. <laughs> and we get defeated by the enemy regularly. We have more defeats than we have victories. If you put it in NFL terms, they play 16 games. Most Christians are 1 in 15. Very rarely, if at all, do they win. Have they done anything to advance the cause of Christ in the earth? And most of the time, it's really 0, 15, and 1. They didn't smoke crack. Hallelujah. <laughs> I resisted the temptation to do wrong. And they think they've done something that's really great when all they've done is tie. Now listen, I'm really grateful you didn't do wrong. 
Yay! That's better than doing bad. But let's move on from just not being defeated and be people that are concentrating on what it looks like to take the kingdom of God and advance it. Do you know there are people that are dying out there? There are folk that need to know truth. They don't know how to relate to one another as husband and wife. They don't know how to treat their children. They don't know how to raise them. They don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I read my Bible every day. Had seven people. Wonderful human beings. But I wasn't the kind of father they needed. They needed a better dad. Every one of them. But especially my first. The first is always the, 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 the most difficult because every day it's a new experience. You don't know what's going to happen today because you've never been here. You have nothing to base your parenting on. At least, now every child you've got to parent different, but at least you have a landscape that's painted. Okay, I've been here at 15. I get this. I know what's happening next. And you'll have to go ahead because love is never tailor-made. You've got to take, excuse me, never, you're never, can't take love off the rack. It's always tailor-made. So you've got to augment something. But I mean, gosh. And all my kids needed a better dad. So somewhere around when my oldest was 12, I fasted for one day a week for 10 years. I said, God, I can't. I can't be who I am now and produce what you want in my household. I can't. And I don't know that I became a dad the kind of dad they needed quick enough, but I wasn't what I was before. I wanted progress. I did not just want the lack of defeat that I grew up in. It wasn't enough just for me not to be a man who committed adultery. It wasn't enough just for me not to be a guy who was addicted to alcohol. I had to figure out how can I make the kingdom advance in my family, not just not have an example of what wrong is like. How in the world are you going to advance? The best way to start is to, is to have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will have the power to be my witness of everything that I do in your life to everybody else. You will take this to the uttermost parts of the earth and bring expansion to people who have no idea how to live. No idea how to be. Oh, when I talk about parenting now, I have some examples of people that I raised up. None of them are perfect, but all of them love God. And I can talk not only from theology, but from experience that God helped me be better for my children that I was. And it did not come simply by me being satisfied that I wasn't a drunk. It came because I said, I have to be the kind of person that represents Christ to my people better. Now the benefit is you, meaning I became different. And so you decided you wanted to come and hear what I had to say. Professionalism is not a part of my, my progress chart. I've never wanted to be a professional. I have wanted to be the best Christian I could be, though, every day. And if I can become a really good Christian, if, an I, if I can allow the power of God to fill my life every moment of every day, then I'll, I'll, I'll be a better than average preacher. I'll be able to lead my church better than someone who is not filled with the Holy Spirit could. Because when you're a really good Christian, 
you're a great everything else. You're going to be filled with power. I can't tell you what the administration is going to look like. I can't tell you what time he's going to fulfill all your dreams. But I can tell you this. You're going to be different as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit. And it says that when the Holy Spirit fell, goodness gracious, tongues of fire came on. Now, I don't even know what that is. What is that? I don't know what that looks like. But everybody else did because they saw it on all their heads. And it says the whole room was filled with wind. Whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, there seems to be this... But this was not just that. This wasn't this gentle come into the, to, to the world of spirituality. I love you. This was violent wind. And the only way I know how to, to describe that is like a tornado. I grew up in Kansas. That's what we did in spring is run from tornadoes into our basement and every place else. Violent. Holy Spirit was coming in power and he wanted them to understand what it sounded like. And it says that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Peter, who was a coward and could not confess Christ before a little girl some 50 days earlier. He tried. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really tough day when Jesus tells you, yeah, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And you sit there and say, not me. Not me. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm your boy. I, I was one of the first you chose. No, we, no. And then when push comes to shove, a little girl, 13, comes and says, aren't you with him? Uh-uh. Nope, not me. Wrong guy. Another servant. Aren't you with him? You, no, aren't you? No, not me. Another servant girl. Might be the same one as prior, but it says, servant girl, okay, you are with him because you talk like him. And then he cursed to prove like he didn't. Meaning the kind of speech you use is really holy. Or either the dialect that you have comes from Galilee, one of the two. But he cursed to prove, I can't be a religious man. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Says he went out and wept bitterly. And this is the guy who becomes the spokesperson for everybody else, stands up first and begins to give justification for who Jesus is and the occurrence that is happening in their life. Now, when they got filled with the Holy Spirit, it says they spilled out into the streets and they began to speak with other tongues. Speaking with other tongues, everybody, this is the one gift that nobody gets. I mean, there are people that don't like prophecy, but when they get one that's true, they love it. <laughs> How can anybody not like miracles or words of knowledge or words of wisdom? Those are cool gifts, but when you get to tongues saying, eh, people start talking in tongues in a room and you come in, the first thing you do is go out. <laughs> what is this? This is weird. They're all, they're all just, blah, 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 blah. I don't understand what's going on in this meeting. This is crazy. I get it. I really understand where you are. Because when I heard somebody do this, I thought these people are out of their minds. They've lost their minds. But let me tell you how tongues is, is pretty natural when God provides a supernatural inspiration. And I'm closing. I just made some things that sounded funny. I said some things that sounded funny. And, and, and what was your response when I said so? You laughed. Well... Why didn't you just say, that was funny? <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> if English was sufficient to communicate what you felt on the inside, why not use it? Instead, you used inarticulate syllables in order to communicate how you felt. Somebody give me the translation for ha, 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 ha. I can give you an interpretation. 
but can anybody give me a translation? Can't. Inarticulate speech, things you don't understand that are coming out of your mouth, there are no verbs for them, no nouns, yet everybody knows what you mean when it happens. And why do you do it? Because there are things on the inside that need to be expressed that English won't let you. That's all God's trying to do with tongues is give you a way to communicate to him how much you love him without having to use your natural language. Now, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of flaws in English. We're always trying to produce new words in order to convey what we create, what we manufacture. And the words that we use, when we use them, generally speaking, after we talk to someone who doesn't understand much of what we're trying to say because it's a new idea, we say at the end of it, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so we've used English the best way we know how, yet we say at the end of it, do you know what I mean? And they generally say, well, say it again. And then we try it a different way. So English, the best way we know how to use it, is flawed in its communication. And when you read a book and somebody else reads the same book, you sit and you have a book talk, what do you think the author's saying? Boom this, boom that. No, he's not saying that. English. And then you got to see in English. <laughs> so you have an imperfect language being used by imperfect people. How in the world are you going to communicate with a perfect God like that? Now, the beauty is that he listens to us anyway. But he's doing his best to try to give you language that doesn't, doesn't demand that you use grammar or all the rules or have a huge vocabulary. He just says, I want you to communicate from your heart. What about crying? <laughs> Why don't we just say, I feel sad. Because there are things that we need to communicate from our heart that English won't let us do. That's all tongues is, is God giving us a spiritual language so we can talk about him in ways that our language is, is insufficient to do. That's just one of the gifts that he dispensed upon people. There are many others, but he says the most important thing that we need to get from this moment of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is power. The power to be his witness. The ability to go into your office without being weird and let people know that Jesus is working through your life because of your integrity, because of how you sacrifice for the organization, how you show up early and sometimes stay late, how you will serve everybody else, even those who are competing with you for the next promotion. You will serve them because you have a different matrix through which you run reality. And you're willing to give up your life for the benefit of somebody else. And all of a sudden, now this, this, this thing that, that is prompting you, nobody else is using in the office. And they look at you and they say, you know, you're one of the best employees we've ever had. What, what makes you you? Then you preach. Power of the Holy Spirit to live right. The world is looking for what right looks like. It's hard to find. Help them not to have to look much further than you. The power to be the witness of who Jesus is. Live in such a way that power envelops your life so that when people see you, hear you, experience you, they experience so much more. The presence of Almighty God. And ultimately say, how can I be like you? That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And that lets you be a winner. Now, are you going to win all the time? No. But go 13 and 3. 
the NFL plays 16 games. 13 and 3 is good. Okay, some of you are looking to say, oh, okay, 10 and 6. Go 10 and 6. Go 10 and 6. You still are eligible usually for the playoffs. Do that. And let's see the kingdom advance as a people. If you want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we will help you get that after the service today. Just come on down front after the service and somebody will be able to pray for you. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. We honor you for the privilege of being able to be called your kids. Have your way with us.